Kelly, how are you? It's been a week since our last recording. I'm all right, Josh. How are you? I'm fantastic. Always happy to get this indubitably thing going. You know, Josh, it's only been a week since I've seen you, but your beard is kind of getting a little wild there. I got lazy this week, editing for the podcast, research for the podcast. I don't have time for personal hygiene. Well, you're lucky you're not in 18th century Russia because they would have charged you a tax for that beard. (laughs) That's Mary, who is a communication scholar involved in debate and has agreed to join us on today's episode. And apparently is threatening me with (laughs) the cutting off of my beard or taxation as a punishment. I got some extra razors if you need them. (laughs) I refuse. In Russia, to bring like society in line with Western European models, they would enforce a tax on anyone who refused to shave their beards. (laughs) How would they? And if if you don't pay the tax, what are they going to do? Are they going to like catch you and cut it off? I imagine jail. Yeah, I mean, Josh actually had it spot on for once. He um, would be subject to a a beard shaving against his will if he refused to pay the tax. (laughs) I'm imagining the police like dragging people and putting them in a chair, but then putting the towel and all of the hot treatment on before they they shaved it off. A very gentlemanly punishment. (laughs) A nice shave. Yeah, I'm sure that's exactly how it went down. That would be nice, though. Universal facial shavings for all. I could get behind that. (laughs) Right. If I could get out of paying taxes by just shaving my beard, I would totally be down for that. Well, too bad for Al Capone. He didn't have a beard to shave. That's true. If we're talking about taxes, I think he's like the guy that everybody brings up when it comes to taxation, right? All of the stuff that he did and he ended up getting jailed for tax evasion instead, huh? I mean, it was something that they could actually prove and it's pretty important for people in society to pay their taxes. Uh, I just, (laughs) I think it's ironic that they used taxation as a way to punish Capone for his various crimes, including obviously theft, when taxation is theft in and of itself. You genuinely think that taxation is theft? You don't? No, absolutely not. You know, I'm a socialist, so I'm all about, you know, systems of government that are collectively funded for the greater good. And if he didn't pay his taxes and that's the only thing they could pin on him, then yeah, that's as good a crime as any to put him in jail for. Oh man, this all started off so nice and now we're going to have problems. Extra, extra, read all about it. Podcast tackles controversies that define your world. Listen to Indubitably now. Extra, extra, read all about it. All right. Well, to settle once and for all, is taxation theft? I guess we have to have a debate on the subject between Josh and Kelly. So to give you a sense of the format that we're going to be using here, it's going to be two six-minute constructive speeches, followed by two four-minute rebuttal speeches. We're going to have a question period in the middle there. Uh, I'll ask the first batch of questions, but then we'll let Josh and Kelly ask each other some questions for a little while. And then we'll end on three-minute summary speeches. With all that being said, let's go ahead and get this thing started. Hope you enjoyed the debate. Josh, let's get a six-minute speech going. All right. So I think this is pretty basic. The definition of theft is simple. Taking other people's property without consent. This could be accomplished by force, 
stopping somebody on the street, holding them up at gunpoint, and forcing them to hand over their money. Or it could be accomplished through stealth, hacking into a bank account and siphoning funds. Our government does both. It demands we hand over our earnings under a threat of force. If you don't pay, armed agents hired by the government can take you away and lock you up in a cage. Elected officials, through pressure from lobbyists, construct insanely complicated tax frameworks that allow certain people to slip through loopholes while the rest of us are forced to give up even greater portions of our labor to make up the difference. I'm going to talk today about three aspects of this coercive relationship between the government and taxpayers. Firstly, the lack of consent that exists. Secondly, the inefficiency and hypocrisy of the system. And then lastly, I'll talk a bit in my second speech about the American Revolution. Before that, I'll take a quick second to clarify, I'm predominantly discussing income tax here. Other forms of taxation to varying degrees are not as coercive as income tax because you can choose whether or not to engage in the activities that result in you paying them. But barely anyone is in a situation where they can choose to just not work, and therefore they're forced into a capitalist system where their money, and therefore the labor that they put in to earn it, is stolen from them. So first, on a principled level, the most interesting part of the definition of theft is the word consent, taking other people's property without consent. And I don't know about you, but I don't remember ever in my life signing a damn thing where I agreed to waste 30% of the hours that I worked handing the profit from that over to the government to do who knows what with. Uh, I know. I'm going to talk about that in my second point. So where did this consent come from? The U.S. government did not always have a policy of federal taxation. In fact, the first American income tax wasn't put into place until 1861 due to the financial requirements of the Civil War. And our modern system wasn't put into place until the 16th Amendment passed in 1913. Even if you argue that those tax systems were not immoral because they were consented to at the time, no one in this current generation has actively consented to the laws that are currently in place. At its most basic level, all of our property is being taken without any of us having ever agreed to it. So maybe the argument is, well, the use of government services implies agreement to pay for those services. But the government forces citizens to pay taxes regardless of whether they use government services or not. Again, on a, on a philosophical level, think of this. If someone were to take $20 from you and hand you a sandwich, they can't afterwards say that it wasn't theft because they gave you something in return if you didn't agree to trade your $20 for that something. Someone needs to tell the government, we don't want the damn sandwich already. Especially, moving on to my second argument, when the sandwich sucks, the government gives us an Italian club from Subway for the price of a pesto artichoke and Havarti grilled cheese. Actually, that sounds kind of gross, but you get the point. If the justification for the government stealing our money is that they are going to use it to provide necessary services and infrastructure, they should have a moral responsibility to ensure that that is exactly what they're doing. Instead, we have insanely inefficient infrastructure projects awarded to whatever company has the most lobbying influence. We spend billions on our military, 30% of total spending worldwide, and 
let's be real. Most of our military activity makes the world less safe, not more. We spend on a prison industrial complex, all the while ignoring socialized healthcare, education, and raiding our social security systems. If you were to walk into a car dealership to buy a Toyota Tundra and they took your money before handing you over a toy car instead, that's theft. And that's exactly what our government is doing. But there's a bright side to this. Thankfully, not everyone is victim to this scheme by our government. There is a class of people that is protected, except it's the people who least need that protection. Lobbying on behalf of the banking industry, oil companies, tech firms, pharmaceuticals, and just billionaires in general ensures that they are able to take advantage of loopholes to avoid this system. And as a result of all of that, the billions of dollars that they would be contributing into the system is instead gathered up from the middle classes. So at the very least, the system that we have in place, if not inherently theft from the get-go, is most certainly theft in the way that it's implemented. Until we have a system where the government actually asks for real consent from the people who it is forcing to sacrifice their labor and the fruits thereof, and provides a system of accountability to ensure that those funds are used in the manner which was promised, taxation is most certainly theft. Okay, that was a constructive from Josh. Kelly, six minutes from you. If there is one thing that Josh and I can both agree on is that we both really hate billionaires, but I would contend that the system of taxation is not the cause of billionaires and is perhaps one of the only ways that we have to resolve the issue of billionaires. What I'm going to do is quickly discuss some of the points that Josh made today. And then I have three areas of analysis I would like to get into, specifically how we would have no private wealth at all without a system of taxation, how taxation is the most efficient way to purchase things due to the bulk discount factor. And I know Josh loves Costco, so that'll be a fun discussion. And then finally, talking about the inequity of capitalism and how taxation itself is one of the ways we can resolve that. So first, Josh talks about a lack of consent. First of all, we absolutely can choose not to participate in this society. There's a group of citizens called sovereign citizens, people who reject the authority of the U.S. government, who no longer participate in the taxation system. There are also ways to participate in the free economy and a barter system that do not require being taxed by the government. So you absolutely can opt out. It's kind of inconvenient to, but you can. But secondly, laws exist whether or not we actively consent to them because we passively consent to them via the social contract. I didn't sign any paperwork saying that I agreed to laws against murder, and yet murder is illegal. The, the fact is that laws exist based upon frameworks of moral and, and ethical standards, and we do not sign into agreement with every single one of them because that's an inefficient system and it doesn't make sense. So that, that point falls pretty solidly because there's no real way to, you would invalidate the entire legal system if you thought that that analysis from Josh was correct. And, but even if the system is illegitimate, even if it is involuntary and coercive, the benefits of it still outweigh the costs of that minor inconvenience to Josh's liberty. Secondly, Josh talks about the inefficiency and hypocrisy of the system. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in, in my case, but essentially he's discussing a poorly implemented system as an invalidation of the system altogether, 
Whereas that's really a criticism of the implementation, not the system in and of itself. The way that taxes work sometimes is inequitable. It protects the wrong people. We can recognize that. But I do see many values of having a taxation system altogether that we can address talking about remediating these issues that we find within the taxation system. So on to the things that I'd like to discuss today. First, taxation is a self-perpetuating system in a good way. Private wealth relies on public funds. So let's talk about if I was theoretically going to put together a nail polish company. If I wanted to sell my nail polish to all of the people in the world, I would need roads to ship all my materials through. Those are publicly funded. I would need communication systems such as the internet or phone systems. Those are regulated by the government. I would need safety standards so that people would know that my nail polish wasn't full of carcinogens. Safety standards are put forth by government agencies, which are funded by taxes. I would need the use of the postal service to ship my goods. That is a system that is funded by taxation. The, the, The gross majority of gross domestic product relies on a system that is reinforced by taxation so that commerce can actually thrive because people trust the products that we make because there are safety standards and things can actually get from producer to consumer because of tax-based infrastructure. But secondly, we have recognized that this is such a universal need that there are only a few countries on the entire planet that do not have an income tax-based system altogether. And they rely exclusively on things like uh, work permit fees and and tourism. The entire global capitalist system relies on on a system of income tax, except for very few instances of things like the Cayman Islands. So the universality of this and the fact that no economy could function without taxation a sufficient justification to show that we have recognized the value of it and it's not it's not theft. It returns money to the pockets of all the people that pay into it. But secondly, let's talk about taxation, how it, it effectively creates bulk discounts when we, when we make purchases through a taxation system rather than doing things on an individual level. So I don't have the option of going to the private security boutique to pick out my own portion of national defense we effectively have a military Costco, right? So if let's say that I wanted to provide my own security, I didn't want to participate in the in the taxation system that funded the military. It is about $35 to $50 per hour to hire a private security guard. They're 8,760 hours in a year. Compare that to how the average taxpayer contributes $3,500 per year to the military. Now, I'm no fan of the military, but it's cheaper to get my national defense through the government via a taxation-funded system than to do it on my own. Let's talk about private education. Costs about uh, $12 to $1,300 or $13,000 per year for tuition for private education, which people are free to do if they want to. And they can, you know, I don't want to participate in the education system, but I'm going to still pay for it. And that's unjust, fine, whatever. The average taxpayer pays $101 towards education per year through taxation. Obviously, it is cheaper to pay for these things through the taxation system than to try to privately fund them. Um, There are no other really strong examples of this because there's no other corollary to things like the FDA in the private sector. I can't ship all my food to get inspected, right? We need things done on a bulk level and we have to have taxation as a basis for doing so. For all of these reasons, I think it's pretty clear that this is a system we rely upon and it is not theft. All right. And that concludes sort of our round one of this debate. We're now going to go into what's sort of the round two, the rebuttal section. So I'm going to pass it back to Josh to get us some engagement. 
All right. So <laughs> Kelly made a couple of claims in that last speech. A uh, some of them are, are easier to deal with than others. So I'll start with the simple ones. First is this idea of sovereign citizens. She says, if you don't like taxation, just don't participate in the system. And she says, you know, not that big a deal. It's kind of inconvenient. It is not kind of inconvenient to not participate in the capitalist system that we have set up. It is impossible for the vast majority of people to just decide we're not going to have a job. We're going to go live in a van in Alaska and hopefully not freeze to death. Uh, not inconvenient, borderline impossible. The second thing she says is she brings up the social contract. And the social contract is interesting, but not applicable to this particular topic. The social contract and the, the other examples that she brought up stops you from harming other people. At no point does the social contract force you to sacrifice yourself to actively help other people. And that's what taxation is doing. It's saying, we are going to forcibly remove the fruits of your labor in order to distribute that money to other people to which you have no obligation. And she also labels this a minor inconvenience. Again, 30% of the amount of time that I work over the course of my life is not a minor inconvenience. It is literally years worth of income, years of my life that's being taken away from me by the government. That is theft. The next thing and the biggest thing that she talks about is look at these systems and look at the necessity of the government and the funding that's required for its functionality that is all made possible by taxation. She says there's no other way to deal with any of these obligations that a government has to its citizens. And I would say that that's not true. The free market can solve for a lot of the regulatory issues that she brings up, and privatization can solve for a lot of the infrastructural issues that she brings up. I think the entire government should be privatized. Chuck E. Cheese could run the parks. Everything operated by tokens. Drop in a token, go on the swing set. Drop in another token, take a walk. Drop in a token, look at a duck. Thank you, Ron Swanson. But instead of this privatized system, what happens is we have a system that's been co-opted by the government and done in a less efficient and lower quality fashion. And this brings me to the idea that I wanted to talk about in my summary speech, which is the American Revolution. At the end of my first speech, I brought up the idea of having a system of accountability. And that idea is literally the concept that our country was founded on. No taxation without representation. We fought the Revolutionary War over exactly this conflict. We in America were being taxed based on the whims and wishes of a foreign government. And I would argue that we are now living in the exact same system. While the government is comprised of Americans, they are most certainly not representative of the rest of us. They are political and economic elites who vote and pass laws accordingly, most pertinent to this discussion being tax laws. And what's worse about this is they make sure that it stays this way. We do not have functional representation at the point in which things like gerrymandering exists, lobbying groups exist, that ensure that our voices, the people who are being taxed and therefore deserving of representation, are not being heard over the voices of those individuals who have the most financial benefit to gain from gaming the system and theoretically should be the people that are paying the highest taxes. But instead, the opposite is happening. When we have a system, as I've outlined in our first speech, that takes money immorally in the first place, uses it inefficiently in the second place, 
and doesn't provide for any representation or recourse for us to check back against these ills in the third place, this is most certainly a case of taxation being very clearly theft. All right. And pass it back to Kelly to conclude the rebuttal section. I want to reiterate that I think that Josh's major criticisms of taxation are not inherent to taxation, but are a process and byproduct of how taxation can be used incorrectly and inefficiently in some cases. I'm going to talk about some of the things that he just brought up, and then I'll get into the idea of how we can use taxation for the betterment of all. So first he tells us that, you know, it's impossible not to participate. That's not true. It's just difficult not to participate. And then he's talking again about how 30% of his labor is being redirected to taxes. I think I've made an adequate analysis of how that 30% of his labor is being rerouted to goods and services through the government that he could not procure himself as affordably. Secondly, he talks about how free market privatization and all of those things will solve for all of the problems that I identified. Capitalism, however, owes nothing to the people, whereas the government does. Capitalism tries to get the most profit for the least amount of work, cost, and effort. And I think that if you're going to privatize all of these things, you're going to see abuses coming from the system because they owe nothing to anything but the bottom line in a sense that the government right now still has some sort of moral and ethical obligation to the people. Then he talks about the Revolutionary War, which ostensibly was thought about taxes But all of his critiques about how we're in the same sort of state of an illegitimate government taxing us and it's going to all the wrong causes, it's a critique of how taxes are being implemented, but it's not a critique of taxation in and of itself. I contend that if we solved all of the problems of disenfranchisement that Josh is talking about here, taxation would look acceptable and and he would have no basis for claiming that it is theft. So I, I, again, say it's not the taxation that he has an issue with. He's more has an issue with just like the inefficiencies and uh, abuses that are part of the American government, which we can solve through other means than getting rid of taxation. So what what do we get from taxation that we cannot get from things like privatization, that we cannot get through other means? And that is uh, to, to amend the issues, the inequities that are inherent to capitalism. So he talks a lot about fairness. We want to talk about fairness. Like this is the, the ultimate issue of fairness when we're talking about all of the people who no, no way can they actually contribute to a system and purchase all of these things for themselves through the free market, yet they need to be taken care of. We pay for things that we don't use all the time. We pay for things that we hate, but I consider that an acceptable cost, an acceptable trade-off, just like people say things I disagree with, but that's an acceptable cost of free speech. Thinking about all of the people who cannot secure things for themselves, cannot pay a token to see a duck, what have you, such as children, people with disabilities, people who suffer under structural inequalities, how would they live in a system that was not funded through taxation? How would they be able to participate fully in a system apparently is dismantling all of the access that they would otherwise have? How would they be educated? How would they have in-home health care if they cannot feed themselves because of a physical limitation? How would they get from point A to point B? 
Those are the sorts of things that the free market would not answer for because the free market does not donate goods and services to people who cannot pay into it. Taxation is a form of taking care of one another and minimizing the adverse effects of living in a capitalist system in a way that no other system can adequately meet those needs. It is for those reasons, I think, of all of the criticisms that Josh has had, of all of the poor Josh and poor um, yeah, my labor, my poor labor, like this is the bigger concern here. The bigger concern is people who have no other means of surviving in this society other than being taken care of through taxation systems. Thank you. All right. So that concludes sort of our round two. We're now going to jump into some questions uh, for this debate. I've got a few. I'll take turns asking Josh and Kelly questions. But first, I have a question that I guess I'm going to pose to both of you. Because under this motion, and I don't know how strictly we want to stick to the text, but whether or not taxation is theft or not, uh, we're also getting into a bit of a framework debate, too. So that is like Kelly could agree that taxation is theft, but maybe it's still necessary or that it is theft, but maybe it still does more good than harm. So we would just say the government needs to steal. Uh, but if we go with like a different framework, we would say like, no, we can't steal. So I guess just that idea, like, does the framework matter in this debate? And like, Josh, you can take that first. I think what I've been able to show is two things. One, principally, just on a, on a purely moral level, that taxation is theft. And I think that that does matter because the implications that derive from that determine whether or not the government can do it, right? Even if there's going to be some utilitarian benefits to it in the future. And I think I've proven that it is not theft, that there are tons of other laws that we implicitly agree to all of the time that does not invalidate the legitimacy of those laws. And the social contract analysis that Josh did was really weak in refuting that point. Actually, my next question is going to follow up with that. So uh, Josh, on this sort of social contract idea representation kind of point, whether we're set in the United States or not is important, but say we are, in, or we're at least in some sort of democracy, like we have representation. If you don't like taxes, like you can lobby for that. You can vote for politicians who don't like it. You can do a referendums to try and abolish taxes. Like you get representation in the system, don't you? I don't think so. I mean, a couple examples of that. One, the last presidential election, we had Trump versus Biden. Uh, if this is a representative system, that would suggest that the vast majority of people in the country wants to vote for one of those two people. And I think probably the vast majority of people wouldn't want either. So why is it that those two ended up our only two viable choices, right? That suggests that the system is not representative or, you know, simple things that seem so obvious, especially in light of current events. 90% of Americans support some form of gun control, 90% of Americans. And yet, even with events that have just taken place, half of the senators that exist are refusing to allow even discussion on a topic like that. Like, how can you say we have a representative system? And Kelly, feel free to respond to that. Yeah, Josh's criticism is the criticism against the non-representative system that can be amended. But the taxation system isn't the inherent ill in this discussion. It's the uh, disenfranchisement of people who try to engage in the democratic process. So he's, he's misidentifying the culprit here. Okay. And still on this social contract idea, I'll direct this question to Kelly. Like Josh does bring up this point that like, 
the government is sort of ineffectual, but we have this, but you're saying that we have this implicit like consent, but it seems weird because we have like a lot of oil subsidies going to like oil companies and like an environmentalist what consents to that happening feels weird to me or that anti-war folks agree to like $40 billion going to Ukraine. Like, I don't feel like I consented to that or even like conservatives funding the education of critical race theory in our schools. Like what have you? Like, it doesn't feel like a lot of what the government does is being consented to yet our taxpayer dollars go there anyhow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is a major criticism of taxation is that we don't get to choose where our money goes and it often goes to things that we disagree with. I think, again, like I've said, that's an acceptable cost because there are ways that we benefit that other people would disagree with as well, such as funding for scientific research when there's tons of science deniers that are out there, things like that. I, I reconcile that in my own personal beliefs by just choosing to think that my money doesn't go to the things I disagree with because it all goes into one big pot and who knows where my specific dollar goes. So I sleep at night, but it's, I think it's an acceptable cost in the system because we have also accepted there's a plurality of opinions and all of those to an extent are valid within the system as well. Do you have a response? I think that the problem with that is if it was some sort of equitable system where people were paying for things that they disagree with, but again, goes back to accountability and representation, there was a way to ensure that that happened at appropriate levels that might be a different story. But with $800 billion going to a military that does the opposite of what it claims to do, I, I just don't think that that's realistic. All right. So I do want to do one sort of left field question for both of you, and then I'll try and get it back on track to conclude the, this section. Uh, but firstly, uh, Josh, your left field question is, is there a major difference between like taxation and profit? Where both cases, it's just workers are working and then a little bit of the fruits of their labor is shaved off to benefit someone else. So what's the real theft here? Are they both both theft? I think the difference is it comes down to the idea of consent. Um, it is impossible, even if Kelly would suggest otherwise, to function in, a, in this society without working. And therefore, whether you want to consent or not, it is impossible to escape the payment of taxes. Um, as far as profit goes, there are ways to get about this. And this is why I think that income tax is unique from other types of taxes. If there's a tax on a car, I can avoid paying a tax on that car by not buying the car. right? But in, in, when it comes to income tax vis-a-vis profit or some of the other things, it is impossible to escape this. And that makes it coercive and that makes it theft. All right. So Kelly, here's your out of left field question. Imagine a world without money. If it's not the government just taking like some percentage of your income, like taxation in that world looks more like a bug's life, right? Where the grasshoppers demand seeds from the ants every harvest or else. Or like you could think that to force labor, you must help the government with these tasks or the government, you're going to owe the government this amount of grain from your labor. Like if you separate it from money, does taxation start to feel more like theft or oppressive? My, my first instinctual response to this is that in the void of money, people will create money in kind if it happens to be goods in, in the system, such as grain or seeds or whatever. But I think that there is a way to have a system in which everybody participates to the extent of their ability and takes from it the, ex- the extent of what they need. 
and does not have to be coercive. And it can be a system funded through taxation, or it can be in a system that does not rely on taxation necessarily, but has another way to provide those goods and services to people. I, I think the criticisms that we've been hearing about taxation are uniquely American and easily remedied through other means. All right. One question I guess I have for Josh is a lot of the illegal things that the government does, we usually just call it a different name. Like it's not kidnapping when the government does it. It's just imprisonment. It's not murder when the government does it. It's just the death penalty. Since we have double standards for the government already, are all of those bad or is taxation in some way unique? Um, no, I don't I don't think it's necessarily unique. I, and a lot of what you bring up are other issues that where we have problems with the government. Um, the way the American prison system works, for example, is is horrible, whether it's uh, solitary confinement, whether it's mandatory minimum sentencing, which we have an episode on, um, whether it's the death penalty, which we might do an episode on. Right. All of these things are, are you know, systems that only exist in the United States. And I think further reinforces the idea that I've been bringing up that we don't have a representative government because alongside of taxation, these are all things that should very obviously be changed. And we very obviously can't change them because of the government we have in place. All right. And last quick question before we start uh, allowing questions between Josh and Kelly themselves. A quick question for Kelly. It's kind of come into like vogue recently, like modern monetary theory that talks about like government spending and just only keeping track of inflation. Whereas like, yeah, the government can just print money. But even if you don't buy that totally, if the government could function without taxation, would you think that that's a better world or is taxation like good in and of itself? I'd say that taxation is good in and of itself because there is created within taxation a stake in the system. Being able to contribute to the system through taxation motivates people to actually give a damn about where their money goes and participate in the democratic process and try to remedy the ills of the current democratic process. Without taxation, I think that there is going to be markedly less interest from people when literally their money is no longer part of the equation of how the, the, the government runs. All right. So that concludes my questions. We're now going to let uh, Josh and Kelly ask each other questions. Josh has been going first a lot now. I think now is a good time to transition into letting Kelly go first for the rest of the debate. Josh, if the majority voted in favor of taxation, if the democratic process was healed and people actually stated their favor for taxation, would you still consider taxation theft? Um, the idea is consent, well, you know, as I've been saying from the, the first sentence of the first speech. So if we had a system where people were able to consent to taxation, then it is no longer theft. But we don't have that system. We don't have that system in the United States. So if the, the system is otherwise voted for and therefore is legitimate and no longer coercive, as it is in most other countries where there is an income tax, that would not be theft in your opinion. I don't, I, I'd be curious if you can give me an example of a place where people are voting for X amount of income tax. I don't have those examples with me right now, but I think it's safe to say that there's at least one country on this planet where people voted for it. Anyway, I'll continue with questions. In your system where everything is privatized and uh, that apparently works really well, how would people like children 
the disabled, people who otherwise cannot work, people who are experiencing crushing poverty, pay for any of the things that right now are provided through taxation. Yeah, I think that you give a lot of credit to the government in in your speeches, but you don't give a lot of credit to people. Um, I think that when you give people the ability to hold on to their own money and they have family members and neighbors or community members who are in need, I think that people step up to the plate in that way. And I think that's a much better system than forcing the money to be distributed through the government and hoping the government all of a sudden decides to start caring about funding programs for um, the underserved people in our population. I don't think that's happening now. So if people no longer are receiving services through the government and have to take care of themselves, which they have to pay for out of their own money, and also have to take care of people in their family who don't have the ability to earn and then pay for those things themselves, that would be a preferable system and people would get what they need in your world. Yeah. Let's take the foster care system, for example. I think that it's a good example of people who are underserved, foster kids, and the government does a horrible job of taking care of them. I think if every person across the country were to get back 30% of their income, I think they would step up to the moral burden that's placed on them when they do see their neighbors, their family members, et cetera, in a situation where they need assistance. All right. I'm going to take that one to switch and start with my cross-examination. So let's say you said, if you don't like taxation, you can just escape from the system. If you were opposed to taxation and wanted to escape from the capitalist infrastructure that we currently have, you wanted to just stop working, how would you do it? I would probably move to another country, which is another option I didn't even bring up when I was talking about how the system is voluntary to participate in. We choose to stay in this country. We choose to work within this country. We choose to pay taxes ultimately. (laughs) You're going to go to a different country that doesn't have taxes? If I am not drawing it, if I'm not making any income in another country because I have enough money to pay for life as an expat, that's an option. That's not an option I think I would actively choose, but it is an option nonetheless. And so you're assuming that you've made enough money to fund this trip, which you have certainly paid taxes on. And you describe this whole process as kind of inconvenient as opposed to like fundamentally life altering. Again, you are overstating the 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 forcible nature of this relationship that people have with the government. And even if it is a forced relationship, so is every other law that we're subject to in this country. Mm. I already pointed out that the other laws are to protect you from harming other people, not forcing you to benefit them. So I'm not going to ask about that. But last question, the current implementation of taxation is the problem. That's what you said, not taxation itself. In a system where taxes are derived from capitalist labor, giving those with the most money, the most power and influence in our government, how can we ever implement taxes in a legitimate way? We have multiple ways that we can address the the issues of representation and changing the tax structure so it's more progressive, changing the tax code so that there are fewer loopholes. The system itself may have some badly implemented components, but it in and of itself is not categorically wrong or categorically illegitimate. All right, so that concludes the questioning period of this debate. We're now going to move into some summary speeches. We're going to let Kelly start this one and give Josh the last word. These will be three-minute speeches. Throughout this discussion, we've heard a lot of weird analysis coming out of, of Josh's argumentation, and I think that that's easily been dispelled through most of what we've talked about today. But I have two issues that I think summarize why taxation is not theft. First, 
I think that there's a major critical failing of, of Josh's analysis on the idea of what actually is possible within a privatized system and how that would be a greater extortionate system than a taxation system could ever be considered. But secondly, I want to talk about the actual financial implications of what we have now and what we would not have if we got rid of taxation. So first, I asked Josh about what would happen in a privatized system if all of the means of people being supported by taxation are taken away. And he said, oh, the community would step up. The community would have to step up. They would be obligated to step up in a way that they are not currently. And they pay through minor taxation for something that the government provides now. And then they would be coercively in a position where they had to take care of their neighbors, their friends, their family members. What if this is a system in which there's an entire community of people who are cash strapped and cannot take care of themselves? We see this very frequently across the country where people are in enclave communities that do not have access to a lot of resources except for government resources. The privatized system would categorically reject all of those people from being able to participate in a privatized system and and being able to take care of their needs through that system and would unduly burden all of the people in those communities to take care of each other. I think that would be a greater form of theft because it would not only be a theft of their time, their labor, and their money, but a theft potentially of their lives. But secondly, an area of analysis that I brought up that I think was very much undercovered by Josh was how this is both the most cost-effective system and the best way to ensure that wealth can be generated. Private business requires public funding in order to carry out its functions and actually make all of the money that it can because it relies on all of the systems such as regulation, such as interstate commerce, all of these other things that are primarily funded by taxation in order to do what it does to raise all this money and then have people like Josh complain about how much of their money goes back into the system. But it's also the most cost-efficient system. I don't see any reasonable way that if we got rid of publicly funded education, that there would be a way to, at a low cost, continue an education system, especially when millions of children are taken out of public school, the demand for private education would skyrocket and the cost would as well. So for all of these reasons, because there is no other way to do most of what we are doing, because we've implicitly agreed to participate in the system, and if we wanted to, we could leave. For all of these reasons, I think it's pretty clear that taxation is not theft, and I love it. All right. And to conclude this debate, let's throw it to Josh. Kelly's speeches have been a whole lot of, well, we could do this, or here's a solution that's possible, but I don't think any of these things are rooted in reality. Her first, you could do this, is just leave the capitalist system. Don't work, and therefore don't pay taxes. But somehow survive. If you think that it's reasonable that you can survive in this world without apparently flying halfway around the world to some random country that doesn't have taxation and you just hope that you've earned enough before now to be okay the rest of your life, you can give her that argument. But if not, the need to work makes taxation coercive and therefore theft. The second thing she says is, well, we could just make the system efficient. And let's ignore the fact that the government does basically everything worse than private corporations. What is the catalyst that's going to change that? We've only seen it getting worse and worse, and we have no reason to think that it's ever going to change, no matter how much Kelly wants it to. And then the last thing she says is, well, if you have problems with the system, just change it. Vote out your representatives, vote for reform. And 
Throughout the debate, we've shown examples of where the government is non-responsive to the population. And again, tax systems are only shifting in the wrong direction in terms of providing loopholes to those that need them the least. So all of these examples are getting worse, not better. And her speech is predicated on the idea that we just fix the problems with no discussion whatsoever of what the catalyst that allows for that fix to happen would be. I've identified throughout this debate three stages of taxation. The initial seizure of funds by the government, very clearly without consent. You are forced to participate in a system where your efforts are then forcibly taken from you. This literally matches the definition of theft. But that's cheap. I don't want to have been basically just on a definitional debate. So even though I think that proves taxation is theft, we talked about two more things too. The second thing we talked about is the use of the funds. I talked about how inefficiently and hypocritically the government determines which funds are taken from who and how they are spent. And this is where Kelly's best argumentation happens. It's here that she points out underserved communities who she suggests would be left behind if the government is no longer funded and taking care of them. Now, unfortunately, she doesn't talk about how bad the government is at doing exactly that. Our seniors, our schools, our homeless, our veterans, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all failed routinely by our government under her system. And the last thing we talk about is representation. And this is the check that could ensure that neither of the first two happen. But I think I've proven through the speeches that this is not a representative government that we live under. And therefore, we do not have the check that she suggests that we do to stop the government from stealing our money through taxation, through theft. All right. And that concludes our debate on whether or not taxation is theft. After much deliberation and considering all the arguments made in the debate, I think we have to conclude that taxation in the United States is theft. Let's go. So congratulations, Josh, you win this debate. Here's why I side with taxation is theft. I think it is an interesting debate for how how we got to this point. Like you had mentioned, like the boring definitional debate, does it meet the criteria of theft? Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's debatable. Uh, It'd be boring if that was the real answer. But I think what really puts the uh, taxation is theft line over the taxation is not theft is kind of this third point on representation, which is where like the idea, like we all agree that no taxation without representation, but to really harp on the point that this specific situation that we're in is not representative is interesting because I think it means you win this debate. I think it means that taxation isn't theft necessarily where you could have a non-theft version of tax in a world out there. But looking at the motion and how this debate laid out, it seems like that's a fair interpretation of what we were arguing. And it does seem like, no, we don't have consent in that sense because we don't have representation. That's how I saw the debate. Obviously, we'd love to hear from all of our listeners to let us know who you think won the debate. It was me, right? Tell me it was me. (laughs) (laughs) In order to give us that feedback, you can reach out to us at IndubitablyPod on both Twitter and Facebook or IndubitablyPodcast at gmail.com. And thank you, Neri, for joining in with us, the discussion, the moderating, and the excellent and accurate adjudication at the end. (laughs) 
Yeah, anytime. At the end of the day, I think we're all still friends, right? Mm. There's a quote that I think ties a neat little bow on this entire episode and the debate as a whole. And that's from Oliver Wendell Holmes. I hate paying taxes, but I love the civilization they gave me. 